we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano. It is an insider look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on hot topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Teledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. 
Listen to Woke App Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wake that ass up in the morning. The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We got a special guest in the building. She is the governor of New York. We have Governor Kathy Hochul. Welcome. Good, Good morning. morning. Good to see everybody. Great Good to, to be here. You. I was like, we have to have you up here because elections are coming up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see a lot. Of, I've been seeing ads like crazy lately. There's a lot of information and a lot of misinformation out there. So we wanted to make sure we had you because Lee Zeldin's been up here already. As a matter of fact, he sat in that same chair, that same chair you're mm-hmm. sitting in, Lee Zeldin mm-hmm. sat in. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> well, Throwing down the gauntlet now, huh? Okay, all right. Bring it on, bring it on. First thing Governor said was, I should have worn my Bills jacket when I was coming here because she seen me wearing my uh, New York Giants. Yeah, well, uh, well, I'm a Cowboys fan, so I can care less. I'm a Bills fan. Well, there you go. This year. No, no, why this do, year. Why, why do you like the Bills so much? Well, every year I pick a different team. This year okay. I picked the Bills because I felt like they had a good chance of possibly going to the Super Bowl. I She's a swing voter, Governor. You are a swing voter. And, I'll, and I'll take a swing voter. I have a lot of respect for that. You know, you know, I'll take a fair weather fan any day. Just, just, just be with the team. She can't name one, one player. Just say I Josh Allen, you're fine. Just See, say, you say, heard say, it. Just say Josh Allen. <laughs> you, you told an interesting story before the mics came on about uh, Lee Zeldin at the debates. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just, you know, you're talking about the size of the chairs and mm-hmm. the height and all that stuff. I said, I'm a little shorter. We had a, a little platform built for us at the debate. Give me a little, so I could reach the microphone. And, uh, you know, just in some reason, my opponent decided he needed to have the platform built as well. So I just, whatever that's all about. Very much. To be that much taller. It's all right. Yeah, it feeds in, it kind of feeds into like the intimidation factor that we saw uh, Trump do against uh, uh, Hillary Clinton in uh, the debates. You know, it's a nice effort, but nobody intimidates me. Hey, there you, you know, go. I, yeah, I'm a street fighter from Buffalo. It's you know, bring it on is what I what I say. So that's all right. I love I love campaigning, by the way. Now, wow. how did you become governor of New York? For most people, that do, don't do you know, know what happened in August? Of- yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah. Let me, my let me, God! Let me oh take you God. back. <laughs> let me take you back. A lot of people don't know. Yes, they, they do. A lot of people okay, don't. Okay, no, but but listen, don't. you would be the first elected woman she wasn't governor elected, per se. Okay, okay. Not yeah. If if after this election. You know, when you win, yeah. yep. you would be the first woman elected governor. That w- That's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. But you are governor now because mm-hmm. of Cuomo and everything that happened with that. Because the res- res- I was lieutenant governor for eight years. Mm-hmm. That's why I know this state. I know all the boroughs. I know all the great restaurants. I know all the neighborhoods. I've been everywhere for eight years. But when you're lieutenant governor, you're number two. You don't, It's not exactly the most high-profile pr- position, right? Mm-hmm. You probably couldn't name my lieutenant governor now, can you? Mm-mm. No. And, uh, oh, no, I It's can't. Antonio Delgado. Oh, no, no, I can't. No, no, no. <laughs> I'll somebody else. All right, so it's Antonio Delgado, and mm-hmm. he's fabulous. Uh, he's a member of Congress, became our lieutenant governor. I was lieutenant governor for eight years. Before that, I was a member of Congress mm-hmm. from upstate New York. So I became the governor when a governor resigns, lieutenant governor takes over. So I've been on the job 14 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but I could step right in because I knew the job. I knew the state. I knew the issues. And I've been working on them for many, many years. So the transition, a lot of people say, my God, what a tough time. Mm-hmm. You know, hurricane and pandemic and shooting in Buffalo and all those things you've had overcome. 
I can handle it because I've had to overcome so much throughout my life. Did you have the intention of running for governor even before that happened? No, I didn't see this coming. No, I really didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been blessed to have so many opportunities to serve at different levels. Uh, I represented a very conservative district in Congress. I didn't last long because I wouldn't go against President Obama's health care plan. I lost my election on that issue. I would do it all over again. You know, sometimes you have to stand up for people even if they don't appreciate it at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I did never saw this coming, but I've always been ready. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's my key to success. You just got to be ready for that if it happens so the people have confidence that the state's in good hands. And that's what we've done for the last year is just manage crisis after crisis after crisis. But you dial back the drama. You start working with people. First time a governor in New York has worked with the mayor of New York in a long time. Mm-hmm. And look at the results. We're collaborating. We're working as a team. And people just want to know that there's people in charge who have their back. We're out there fighting for them. And you it's know, that simple. I'm a New Yorker. And one of the main things right now with this election that everybody's talking about is cashless bail. Now, Lee Zeldin is saying he will get rid of cashless bail if he's elected. I want to know what your thoughts are on that because... We've, you know, we've been talking about this a lot, and there's a lot of misinformation about bail and cashless bail and people going back in the streets and crime in New York. So I want to get your position because I think crime in New York is such a huge issue right now. It's, it's a huge issue is right. This is my number one issue. I've been working on this not because it's a campaign time, but since I became governor a year ago. And I can walk you through what we've done on getting 8,000 illegal guns off the streets. I mean, there's no legal guns being made here. They're all legal coming in from another state. Mm -hmm. So I took our state police and said, you can be out there giving out speeding tickets or I can get you on the border stopping the flow of illegal guns. And so we focused on a lot of ways we've made a difference on the murders and shootings, but the bail issue is important. And I'm really grateful to have the chance to explain it. A number of years ago, the decision was made by my predecessor in the legislature that there's a situation where two people accused of the same offense. Mm -hmm. They both steal a backpack, go before a judge. One's family has money. He gets bailed out. He goes back to his job. He goes back to school. He's fine. You know, shows up in court later and everything's good. A person whose family does not have the money or they don't have the money themselves to post bail, they end up in Rikers Mm -hmm. for a low level offense. Doesn't harm anybody, right? So that was the injustice that was the premise behind the original bail changes back in 2018, 2019. What happened, though, was not just the low-level cases, but other cases, other crimes were being swept under the changes. Cases with guns, loaded or unloaded. Cases where there's repeat offenders. People keep going into the same store day after day after day after day and, and clearing the shelves and harm to other people, violations of orders of protection. So I became the governor watching the crime rate, watching what's going on, not blaming those changes, but saying there's some loopholes that we need to close. We need to bring some of this back under. And I fought hard for that. And I took a lot of grief for that because I knew in my heart it was the right thing to do, but I had to win people over. I did it in our budget, got those changes done. They've only been in effect a few months, so they haven't had a chance to work, but I need the whole system to work. What people don't realize is that for two straight years, there were no criminal trials, no jury trials because Mm -hmm. of COVID. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't meet because they didn't want to have jurors sitting that close to each other. So we have a huge backlog of cases in the court system. I also need the judges to do the right thing, the district attorneys to do the right thing, and the whole system to work together. And telling people we're still the safest big city in America, 
doesn't feel like it. I understand that to my core. I understand the anxiety. And going into the subway with Mayor Adams a couple weekends ago was not my first time. He was newly sworn in January 6th, last, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. We went to the subways and talked about the fear in the subways, protecting people, getting more police, getting cameras. So if someone's going to do something wrong, we're going to catch you on camera, mm-hmm. and you'll be brought to justice. You can't hurt somebody else on a subway. And also the people who are severely mentally ill. Severely mentally ill people should not be on the subway because they can have an episode and push somebody on a track, mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a tragedy. So we call it, you know, working on cops, cameras, and care. We've been doing this from the beginning. This is not a new issue to me. So it is very disingenuous for someone to come on the show and say, changing the bail laws is going to make the difference. We made changes. Let's see how they work. I'm always mm-hmm. willing to make changes if necessary. I'm, I'm flexible. But we have a nationwide crime spike. You can't blame the New York State bail laws on that. I was gonna ask, oh, let's, know, with, let's stay on the no, bail laws for a minute. Second. I was going to ask, you know, with, with police officers leaving large at large numbers, right? They're retiring. They're quitting. They don't want to do it. They're saying a lot of it is due to the bail reforms. They're arresting people. And with hours, they come right back out and, and then they do that same crime over. And it's not, like you said, small-level crimes, and that's making a lot of cops and people scared where they don't want to go to work anymore because they're like, they feel like their work is for nothing. And that's exactly the change we made. When I talked about repeat offenders, I can understand the frustration. The police officers and the business person who's just been robbed wants some justice, and nothing happens because they get re- people get cycled through over and over again. That's how it was. But as part of the budget that I got through, and again, the budget's when the governor has the most power. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when I can put things in there that others may not be real excited about, but that's when I can use the leverage of the budget. That's what I used. That's why our budget was nine days late. I said, I'm not leaving here till we deal with this repeat offender issue and some of these other issues. So now the law says that if it's a repeat offender, you have the ability, judge, to consider bail. Now, again, that's still the discretion of the judge. A judge can still come up with a different decision. Mm-hmm. I can't control that. I don't elect the judge here. Mm-hmm. But that's where the system is starting to pull back together. But Everybody the, does their part. Isn't that still the same problem? If somebody can afford to get out on bail, right, and the judge gives you a bail, then the people who have money will still be able to get out, and the people who don't have money won't. The judge also has the discretion to remand as well in cases he can look at, is it bail eligible? Does he want to set it so high he knows the person's not going to make it so they will be held? Or does he just want to simply remand them and hold them? And that's where the whole system has to work together. It's many parts. It's so simplistic to just say, you know, you fire one district attorney and change bail, and then everything's all wonderful again. I hope voters aren't buying that. I hope they are not buying that. That That is so disingenuous, so unfair. It's a lie. It's a lie. That's not going to change things. And for someone, Lee Zeldin, who says he's tough on crime, but is soft on guns. Ask him whether or not he voted in Washington for the most significant anti-gun legislation that made sure that there was background checks and other reforms. The, the most significant legislation in Washington in 30 years, he wouldn't even vote for it. He didn't vote to fund police in Washington. He didn't bother to show up to vote. I triple the amount of money going for law enforcement, as well as our violence disruptor groups, the people who've been in the system, who come out and work with the clergy and the community leaders to try and get young people to be on a different path so they don't feel the only family they're going to have is in a gang. I have 
invested money, resources, changed laws, and worked on getting illegal guns off the streets. And Lee Zeldin doesn't even bother to show up to support our police. People need to know that. And this is really frightening. He opposes our efforts to keep concealed weapons off the subways and out of churches and synagogues and schools. And in fact, he even said this weekend. Teachers should have guns. He said teachers should have guns. Think about this. Let's say a school has a metal detector, okay? Mm -hmm. Someone says, well, I've been radicalized online like the white supremacists who massacred my neighbors up in Buffalo. You get more people like that. They want to become famous. So I'm going to go shoot up a classroom. I don't have to worry about getting past the metal detector because I know there's a loaded gun in a classroom. I can just go take that gun from the teacher because you've just told me that every teacher is going to have a gun. Well, that's a hell of a hypothetical, though, right? To say that the student can fight a teacher and take the gun? You don't think a, an adult could come in? Or another an 18-year-old, a 20-year-old? I mean, most I mean, of, most of these in classrooms does mo- sound most, like a Most very... of these shooters are 18. Uh, they're, a... they're mostly 18-year-olds. Yeah, I'm a person who believes, you know, schools should have the same type of security as the airport. Like, so I believe that there should be metal detectors. I believe that there should be, you know, armed guards, just like there is at the at the airport. So if it's if it's not that, what do you think they no, should do what, to protect schools? What you said is smart. Okay. Why are the teachers? We're not the teachers. Yeah. That, that's the difference. He said teachers. I have no but couldn't trouble. couldn't you tackle an armed guard the same way, though? Couldn't you I, say? Well, an armed guard is trained. Okay. They're not going to have someone just walk up. I mean, a teacher is, our teachers have enough to deal with. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with kids who've been left behind for two straight years because they had basically no education. What if it's a teacher who is an avid gun owner, who's trained, who knows how to use their gun and feels safer with their gun in the classroom because of everything that's happening nowadays? What I would ask is the parents, how do you feel your child being in a classroom when there's a, a loaded gun? I think that's a fair question. Ask the parents how they would feel about that. But Depends the who got the gun. You could say you could ask the, you know, the, the parents how... Those children feel that children were, were killed when the police didn't run in and they had no right. protection. Yeah. And, and see, when it comes to New York, my problem with New York is, and I was born and raised in New York. My father's a retired police officer. I feel like a lot of times it forces you to get in a situation you can't handle, right? If I go to any other state, I think it's like 40 states I'm licensed to carry. I can't carry in New York, of course. Um, but how do I protect myself? With crime rising and they're letting people out as they get locked up, it's like I'm a target. It's like he's a target. It's like, you know, you have security, so you're not as a target. She's a target. You know, to the point where I don't feel comfortable taking my kids trick-or-treating. You know, I don't feel comfortable because I can't protect myself. And then the police are not coming. They're they're retiring and quitting at high rates. And it, and it's like, but if I do carry a weapon and I'm doing it and I'm carrying it to protect myself, I got to go to jail for three years. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a, a, a weird situation, especially in New York when it comes to carrying legal mm-hmm. firearms. And let me, let me talk and to I'm, you and about— And I'm trained. And I understand that. Let's talk about— New York State has some of the toughest gun laws in America. The toughest. A lot of states do not have any restrictions. Mm-hmm. So what is the what is the um, death by firearm rate in states like New York? About five people per 100,000 killed by firearms. In the states that don't have the same protections we do, pick any one of them. It's about 20, 25, 30 per 100,000. The number of people getting killed by firearms because the accessibility, someone gets into a fight in a bowling alley or gets unhappy with someone at a subway station, someone gets shoved, and they're not just shoving back anymore. They have a weapon. I think we really need to rethink whether or not within a city with 8 million people, we want people armed sitting all around us because the, da- the data shows that those states that have looser laws, people are dying at a higher rate than they are here in the state of New York, if that's the real concern that we have. 
So I, I look at numbers. I look at debt. I understand. But I also understand the very few, really real emotions that are out there. There's, there is fear out there. But we, in telling people that the numbers are lower, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's how you feel. And the reality is murders and shootings are down, but other crimes are up, without a doubt. And we're trying to tackle that. You know, the big crime right now is car theft. People are stealing the catalytic, conver- catalytic converters. Mm-hmm. converters yeah. Because, and we just had to pass a law, and now we have, if someone's trying to steal a catalytic converter, the metals in it are very expensive. They take it to a chop shop, everybody gets rich. Then there's a victim out. We have victims out there. We made it so the shop that they go to now has to report it to us. They have to keep a record of who brought that. Mm-hmm. So we just did that last week. I think that's going to start driving down that. So when you look at our numbers, one of the big drivers is auto theft and the theft of catalytic converters. So everywhere there's a problem, we're tackling it and going at ghost guns. One year ago, people could order online, mm-hmm. assemble in their living room, mm-hmm. put together an assault weapon, and go shoot up a grocery store in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. We banned the ghost guns. So we're always trying to be ahead of this. You know, my, my husband was Barack Obama's United States attorney up in Western New York. You know, he his focus was gangs and street crimes. Mm-hmm. And he and drove down the rate where he was able to work with the community groups, the clergy, the violence disruptors. They were all his allies, but also worked really hard with law enforcement and brought them together to drive crime down. I still see we have great potential to do that. That's why as governor I've been that convener. I brought together nine states, leaders of nine states law enforcement to say, I need your help to stop those guns from coming here. I don't want them in East New York. I don't want them in the Bronx. I want our people safe. And is that flow of guns, we have 400 million guns in this country that kids are killing each other and it has to stop. And part of the other way to stop it is to give those young people an alternative. And I'm laser focused on training programs and helping them get the jobs. And I speak in churches all the time, but it's mostly the older women in the churches. And I Mm -hmm. say, get your grandson in here. Get him in this program. There's people going to take care of him. He's going to be okay. He's had to stop the time in his life when he's most vulnerable Mm -hmm. to the allure of being part of a gang and feeling, you know, he's got power when he's got that gun. I want to go back to uh, the bail law reform for a second because I saw Tammy Hudson, the mother of a... Kiara Benefield, and she says, your support for NY's no cash bail law directly led to her daughter's death, and she said you should also be charged with the crime because she feels like, you know, you have responsibility. What do, what do you say to that? All I can say is that is a grieving mother. That is a grieving mother. I understand the anguish she's going through. She she doesn't understand how this could have happened to her beloved daughter, leaving her children without, her grandchildren without a mom. Um, my family... My mother was a real champion for victims of domestic violence. Our family started a home for victims of domestic violence. The system failed. And I will just simply say, you know, I'm not going to argue the facts with a woman who's in such pain. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are saying your lead has shrunk because of the rollbacks on some of the bail law reform. What do you say to that? And I think this is an opportunity for people to listen to what I just explained. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why the laws were put in place before I got there. What I did to correct the areas where there needed to be reforms done and they've only been in place a few months. So I'm just simply think, saying that we really have to tackle the issue of guns. Mm-hmm. Lee Zeldin has a horrific record on guns, opposes our red flag laws, which means that when someone sends a message you know, on social media, I'm going to shoot up a school, we have the right as a society to protect ourselves and go to that person's house and do they have guns. This literally happened in Buffalo a few days ago. Mm-hmm. 
that because of the New York State red flag laws that I toughened and leave Zeldin opposes, the police were able to identify someone who made a threat to their high school, went to their house and found a whole cache of guns. I want to prevent violence, not just talk about it afterward. And I think that also no system is going to be perfect, right, when it comes to certain things. And I know that the cash, with cashless bail, there's a lower recidivism rate. I saw that. But then also, um, I don't know how we would argue against the fact that somebody could get out on bail because they have money, but someone else can't because they don't. Right. And it's somebody that would get bail otherwise, because there's still people who aren't going to even have the opportunity. There's no bail at all. And so those people who are violent offenders still will have to be in jail. But I think that if somebody is able to get out on bail and the judge is going to give you a bail, that it should be cashless because that just the only difference is if you have money or if you don't. And I don't see how we would argue that because there are people who are sitting in jail for, you know, speeding tickets and fines and things like that. That should be able to get out. But I do feel like, yes, if it's somebody that the judge feels is a danger to society, they shouldn't get out at all. I'm not yeah. talking speeding tickets. No. I'm not talking no, speeding tickets. But about there are people I'm who were about, sitting in jail for those reasons. I'm talking about like the gentleman who punched the cop in the face and he was uh, punched the cop in the face. He got out right away after getting out a week ago for having a gun charge. Like after getting out a, another week ago for alleged uh, assault. Mm-hmm. Like that, those are. But my thing no is, would he bond. have gotten a cash bail at all? Because no then the bond. only difference would be, because you know, then maybe that's somebody that shouldn't get a bail at all. No, I don't feel like right. you should get a bail. So but, the, but the only difference well, that's is... that's the point. That's what she was saying. Not, it's up to the yeah. judge's discretion. That's it's the same the thing in Illinois. Like, the Republicans took the message in Illinois and, and, and came up with that whole purge thing, but it's the same exact thing. The judge had the discretion to right. decide. The judge had discretion, yeah. yeah and, and judges are elected, mm-hmm. and there's consequences at the polling place. I was going to ask about housing now as well. You know, a lot of uh, black and, and brown minorities have a hard time getting houses, have a hard time getting loans, have a high, high, hard time, uh, much of anything, coming up with a deposit, you know, grant. So what what are your thoughts on helping more minorities become homeowners? Because we all know that homeowners is usually starts generational wealth for us. You know, that is so true. You know, I, I focus a lot on economic empowerment for black and brown communities. And there has been this neglect. People assume that anybody, it's the American dream, everybody can rise up. Well, that's not the case when there's been systemic racism and barriers to people being able to advance. And I'll get to the housing question in a moment, but since I took office 14 months ago, everything we've been been doing is through the lens of equity, you know, trying to make up for the disparities that reared their ugly head even more so during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, why more black and brown individuals lost their lives what kind of health care were they getting or not getting at that time? And so we, I have Dr. Mary Bassett, a brilliant woman who's the head of our health department. She is charged with identifying in the health care system the disparities, why maternal mortality is so high for black women, mm-hmm. why they're more likely to die on the delivery table than anyone else. So we are laser focused on that. So we look at all the areas where there's disparities through this lens, and it also rears itself in housing. And we have toughened our laws also on discriminatory practices that still exist today. And I grew up in Buffalo, and my parents were involved in something called Housing Opportunities Made Equal. It was a white block. My parents brought in people from Buffalo, people of color, and tried to work to get them to be able to live in our neighborhood and break down the races. We had a lot of threats on our family at the time for simply doing something that today we would say, how is that possible in my lifetime? But it was real. It was real. And we fought against that even back then. And now we have to make sure that we have programs for first-time home buyers, make sure that there's not discriminatory lending practices, the redlining, where people would mm-hmm. say, well, 
that that neighborhood is high crime, so we won't give you insurance. You can't buy a house there. It's all cyclical. But what I'm going to continue doing is creating more housing stock, more affordable housing overall, making sure we have supportive housing for people. But when I talk about the economic empowerment, I think about projects. We just opened up some uh, a new area to, with Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson is one of the big investors in our investments. In Never heard of him. Love that guy. <laughs> Love that guy. And he's so tall. He's so tall. I felt like a dwarf next to him. But it was exciting because his company is coming in and helping create thousands of jobs here. And we gave him that ability by saying, we intentionally said, I want 30% of this product, 40% of this product to be MWB. You figure it out. You hire the people, the contractors. And so there's a spinoff. And those people from Jamaica and the communities around the airport that are so hit hard, they have to deal with all the traffic and they have to deal with all the noise. They should be the ones who rise up the fastest and they can be able to buy a house. They'll have the money to buy a house and we give them the good paying jobs. I literally was on the phone early this morning with a CEO who wants to come to New York, bring 600 jobs because we were able to announce last week because of my efforts here at the state and Chuck Schumer at the federal level, the largest private sector investment in our state history, we're bringing back home the semiconductor manufacturing facilities. It'll be 50,000 jobs. What does that mean? That means here in the city of New York, I want to grab high school kids and young people and get them into a training program. I said, you can make $100,000 to start if I can get you the training in these jobs. So that's how you lead to that ability to buy that home and to get out of the, the crushing weight of having to make those rent payments and the anxiety that happens every single day when people aren't sure if the cost of living is going to get higher and higher and higher. So there's a lot of, lot of pain out there. But I'm so focused on this because I'm hardwired to solve problems, but also I have an empathetic heart. You know, my, I was raised in a family of social justice Catholics. We were out there marching for civil rights back when I was a kid. I had a a band protesting the Vietnam War as a little kid in school. So I, I come out of a family didn't have much. You know, parents used to live in a trailer park, and Dad worked at a steel plant, but we rose up because my dad got an education. And I want that same shot for every young person. So we're investing in education that'll lead to the new jobs, that'll lead to the house that every young person and family deserves to have in the state of New York. You know, I read an uh, article in the National Review that says the Democratic leadership is making NYC unlivable for conservatives and there's this Republican exodus. So how do you plan to keep people in New York? Well, we have to give them the jobs and you know, people may not want to be here philosophically. We do have, we do advance people's rights in this state. And if that's something that an individual philosophically doesn't support, you know, I hope they will stay. We welcome them to stay and hopefully understand why it's so important for us to have rights for people. And it's been a long journey to get to the rights we have here in the state of New York, whether it's LGBTQ rights, women's rights that are under assault right now. I mean, people want to live in a state where whether or not a woman can decide what to do with her own body is unquestioned. Right. I mean, that's why New York State is even more welcoming. People are starting to want to come here from other states and we embrace them because that's who we are. We're, fast, we're so fascinatingly diverse. We welcome people from all over, but also we have jobs now that we didn't have before. So I encourage everyone to stay. Be honest now. MAGA, MAGA, MAGA conservatives can go. Let me tell you a story real quick. You got mm -hmm. a second? How much time? I would have? hope so. Okay. It's, <laughs> on you. it's on you. It's all right. All right. I'll tell you. This is why I'm a different kind of leader. In Congress, I was elected as the first Democrat to represent the most Republican district in, this, in the state 10 years ago. How did I do that as a Democrat from Buffalo? I went out to the small towns and the diners and the VFW posts and met with the people 
And I was out there fighting for health care, protecting Social Security and Medicare. And they saw in me as someone who was not defined so much by labels, but as someone who really had a heart that was a fighter. I, was, I am a fighter. But we're about action. But, but I, yeah. I voted... I voted to protect their interest, and I was elected. And one time I was taking a little trip along a canal. There's an Erie Canal, as you all know, it changed the history of New York, the Erie Canal. I was on a boat with my husband, and we pulled up to a dock in one of these really conservative small towns. Docked the boat. Didn't understand why there's so many other boats around. Realized that we were in the middle of a Trump flotilla. Mm. There's all these <laughs> Trump flags flying. And I, we had to jump out. We were going to go try to find a pizzeria in the town to get some food. And we were surrounded by people. And I didn't know if they'd recognize me or not. And I stepped out in the crowd, and I saw a bunch of the guys looking out of the hood of a, of a, a car. Sounds like a horror movie. No, it's, it's, it gets better. <laughs> I know, it gets better. And they're all looking. I said, is it a 67 Chevelle? I said, my brother had that. Open up that hood. Let me see what you got under here. So I start talking to these guys. We're talking about you know, how I drove the pace car at NASCAR. I've, you know, I, I, just, I do everything I can. So I start, all of a sudden, we start talking about football because this is up in Buffalo Bills country <laughs> so we're talking about the Bills game we're talking about cars we're talking about boating we're talking play seat and by the and they knew who I was they knew at the time I was lieutenant governor of New York a Democrat they were all truly Trump supporters but by the time we were done they said come on back and have a beer with us after you get your dinner here's a place to I do believe that we can connect with people in a different way when you set the election aside in November 9th there'll be an opportunity for me to govern for the next four years in an inclusive way that understands there's parts of our state where they feel neglected, overlooked, whether it's you know in, in the boroughs or whether it's upstate. They need to have a leader who will bring people together and not be so divisive. I've already demonstrated I can be that person, and that's exactly why I believe those individuals will still want to stay in a state where their children will have a good education, they have a chance of getting a good job, and will protect the rights of their family. I think what, 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 no, real, what you're saying is right in theory if we were dealing with a traditional type of conservative. But I feel like when I hear Democrats say that, it sounds like y'all want to play nice with the racists. Y'all want to play nice with the fascists. That's what it sounds like. No, not, no, 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 no. Because if, no, no. if you would have started having a conversation about black people or LGBTQ or immigrants with those same individuals, no. it would have changed real quick. I'm just quick. saying, my job <laughs> is... To jump back on that exactly. <laughs> my job as the governor is to not drive people away from our state. If that was, mm -hmm. that was seems like that was the premise. You were, mm -hmm. I'm not driving people away from our state. I'm simply saying I want them to understand our values, our values of what sets us apart as New Yorkers. If they see here and, and get to know people, and that's why I think when you get to know people and you start breaking down the barriers, because otherwise our country is heading into a dark place. I will always stand up for progressive values and proudly do so. But I also want to reach out with a message to others that say, you're worried about your family, the cost of living, safety, Everybody's concerned about those, and I'm the person who's going to lead this state back. So I am calling out white supremacists. I have no trouble sending my state police to investigate any area where I think that there's hatred, where there's racism, there's bigotry. And in fact, I charged our attorney general, Tish James, after the massacre in Buffalo to start monitoring our social media sites and finding out who else is saying what so we can prevent the next massacre. So no tolerance for that, mm -hmm. but for those who simply feel that the Democratic Party doesn't speak to them anymore, I'm going to have the conversations and try to pull them back. But I will not try to win over the hearts and minds of someone who hatred. is so so full of hatred. That I just, you're absolutely right. There mm -hmm. is a there is a big difference between 
New York Republicans, the old school New York Republicans, mm -hmm. and what has morphed into today. Mm -hmm. And we have to call it out for the hatred. And Governor Hochul, why Governor do you think that, one, yeah, one last question, why do you think that Lee Zeldin has gotten so much support? I think people are listening to a message, and I'm just out here to say it is not true. You cannot say that the crime problem will go away on day one when you refuse to take steps to get guns off the streets and protect our young people from violence in the streets. It doesn't add up. So I appreciate this opportunity because there is a billionaire funding Lee Zeldin ads, very close to Donald Trump, almost $18 million in negative ads against me, and that definitely has an effect. I'm out there working hard every day. I still have a government to run, but I'm going to be the best leader. And I didn't come here to be the first woman elected governor. I came here to make a real difference. I don't need to make history. I want to make a difference. And people will judge me by that years to come. I'm going to ask you about that. Is there an internal pressure to win this election and like have the people actually vote you in because of how you know you, you became governor now? It's not about me personally. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens, I'm still the same person. I'm still that same person who came out of Buffalo with, you know, and a family that struggled, and, I, and I'm still a fighter. No matter what happens, it's not about me. It's about the direction of this state. Does the straight want, state want to continue moving forward with someone who cherishes the rights that we fought for for so long and will protect them and not go backwards on a woman's right to choose or all the rights that we think are so important here. The fundamental right to be safe is number one. And I'm the person to protect that because I actually have a record, not just a lot of rhetoric saying I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. You had a chance, Lee Zeldin, to stand up and vote in Congress to support our law enforcement and to get guns off our street. You had a chance and you blew it. Mm -hmm. And I have a record where we're making a real difference. And that's the message I'm putting out to voters. And I feel good. I, and again, I'm a big sports fan. You know, it's not mm -hmm. over until you, you know, lob it into the end zone. And then you can spike the football. So I'm not doing anything prematurely. But I also, I also love this state with every heart, every fiber of my body. I love this state. And I'm going to keep being out there working for the people. All righty. Well, we appreciate you for joining us. Yes, Absolutely. You and Governor, if you freeze that, I'm having a problem with my 69 uh, Camaro. If you know anything about those, you know. Let me get out my toolkit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's the Governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, and we appreciate you for joining Make us. Make sure y'all right. go out there and vote. All right. Thanks, everybody. Early voting's underway. All right. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. 
Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love at First Listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 